Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Wizard Staff Podcast. I'm your host, Blake. And I'm Guy. And we are two drunk novices who like to talk about EDH. We do drink and swear, so you've been warned, please drink responsibly when playing children's card games. Tonight is going to be the first of a three-part episode where we will be discussing Commander Legends 2 Battle for Baldur's Gate. I'm not quite sure if that's actually the name of it. It's a little it's pretty long, has something to do with like the Dungeons and Dragons. But I think that's the name of it. It's basically Commander Legends 2, Electro Boogaloo and all that crap. Commander Legends 2, Dungeons and Dragons, Battle for Baldur's Gate, something like that. You know, gotta throw in the Dungeons and Dragons, because it is another Dungeons and Dragons set, which was pretty popular, and I am surprised that they, you know, are doing a second set with it in such a popular, like, format, like, set. I don't know. I was kind of surprised, and I was, like, very interested, because I was like, oh, I didn't really like the first one, <laughs> until I started playing D&D, and so then they announced this, and I was like, hmm, okay, I'm willing to give this one a second shot, and I think overall, it's not bad, but, yeah, definitely not as powerful as the first one, but that was a pretty crazy set. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, because it's like, you know, a year or so, they made like commander legends and then another set later on was like dungeons and dragons set and they basically have now combined the two to be like a hybrid single set so it's just sort of an interesting mix of flavors there anyway uh before we start talking about this set really quickly like what are we drinking tonight this is a trick question by the way oh okay um well i'm drinking some tea because I have strep throat, so it's gotten significantly better over the past couple days, but I'm still on some antibiotics, so I decided I'm just going to drink some tea and a little lemon, because that's what the doctors prescribed. And listen to your doctors, folks. <laughs> yes, please do. As for myself, I am drinking a IPA by Hellbent Brewing Company. It's their India Pale Ale, and before you ask, yes, I did buy it specifically because it said Hellbent, a mechanic that is also in magic. (laughs) Yes, even though it's not even in this set, but, you know. (laughs) It's not even in this set. Uh, Yeah, we'll talk about the mechanics here in a minute. But, uh, yeah, so really quickly, just so everyone's up to speed, maybe... You don't know what Baldur's Gate's all about, but the long and short of it is that Battle for Baldur's Gate is larger than a normal set, with both commander reprints and new cards. There are 85 legendary creatures and planeswalkers, which is a lot, and so uh, we're definitely going to be like skipping along here really quick in order to like talk about all of them, because 85 is a lot. I don't think it's quite as many as the original Commander Legends set, but it's a fuck ton. And we want to try and get through this all. Um, I think it is-, is actually a little more. Sorry to cut you off, but it's a little different too. Because you'll see here shortly, um, they did something that's different from Partners, which I think 
you know, really extended the format versus what they did here was a little more limiting. True, true, true. So, really quick, this set is also designed to be played as, like, limited commanders, so, like, you can play draft or sealed with it. So that's the other aspect of this set is like so if you actually like crack this open and a lot of this you're opening it's like this doesn't seem like a commander card it's like well it's probably meant for draft or it's probably meant for sealed and so it wasn't necessarily designed with the commander format in mind and that's fine some of a lot of it was though and it was originally planned to be available and draftable on magic online but that goal wasn't realized Building on the Commander First gameplay of 2020's Commander Legends, Battle for Baldur's Gate was advertised to bring in iconic characters, new mechanics, flavorful spells from D&D, and Commander Legends style foil etched legendary creatures. So, we are breaking this episode again into three parts. Part one is going to be the mono colors and the backgrounds. Part two is going to be multicolor commanders. And part three is going to be the commander deck cards. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. But Blake, what the heck is a background? <laughs> I've never heard of that before. What do you mean? Oh my god, well I'm glad you asked. So, there's a lot of cards that are going to say it choose a background on them. And so, this is probably the most notable mechanic of the set. And it's basically Watsi's new take on, part- on the partner mechanic without making the currently existing partners too strong because any enfranchised commander player like can pretty much agree and explain that the original partner's mechanic was too strong so then Watsi made partner with blah 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 and that was nerfed but still kind of strong so now this is again another attempt by Watsi to take it a step back where you still the basic premise is that you have two commanders but without it being too strong Right, so you have the legendary creature, and then a background is a new enchantment subtype, and so any of the backgrounds can be paired with a commander that says choose a background. So if you can have a white commander, but a blue background, and that'll make your deck blue-white instead of um, you know being restricted to only the color that your commander creature is, the background also allows you to get a second color, which is kind of why it's so similar to partner, and you know, it's what makes the draft environment work for this. Yeah, do you have any kind of initial thoughts on backgrounds in general? Like, I know we haven't even talked about any of the cards yet, but do you have any initial thoughts? Yeah, so I think it's pretty interesting because they kind of introduced this idea with like modal double face cards where you would have a legendary creature and then on a another side it could be either a sorcery artifact enchantment an instant so in this way i think we've kind of like leaned into the fact that like you know you could have um something that isn't a legendary creature as your commander um and i think that's pretty cool and i would love to see other variations of this in the future if they ever want to do a third type of commander legends so as a commander i think you'll always want to likely cast backgrounds the turn before or after you cast your commander because if you cast them and then aren't casting your commander then you're getting zero value and i do like the fact that 
the backgrounds aren't creatures because enchantments are a little more difficult to deal with considering not all colors can touch them and you need to use something that's probably not a creature to get rid of it because you know commanders can die in combat um they're pretty prone to a lot of different types of cards um enchantments not all colors can deal with them as easily so yeah but if you want to include enchantments in the 99, I think that's also a really good idea because you can either load up a bunch to give your commander some buffs. Oh, I guess that's kind of important. All the backgrounds say something along the lines of commander creatures you own have blah blah blah. So it gives them an extra ability, which is great also if you have the original partner pairing commanders because then you can play a background and both your commanders will be able to have that kind of ability. I think you're pretty much right on the money. Do you have any other final thoughts about him before I move on to the next mechanic? Not really. I think we'll kind of dive deeper into it as we talk about them. It is just very interesting. I love the new design space. So, yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think it's good when compared to the whole history of partner, partner with, and now backgrounds. Alright, so the next mechanic we have is Adventure. You all know what Adventure is because it first came out from Throne of Eldraine. It's those cards that kind of look like the bottom half is like an opened book where like cards have sorcery and instant speed effects on one side and then usually a creature on the other side of the book. Y you, you know what it is. So then there's also yeah. D20 dice rolling. So again, you know what a d20, like a 20-sided dice, you roll it. Watsi has been putting more of this sort of effect in Black Border, and not just exclusively to Silver Border cards. It's high variance. It's not super high reliable for high power level games, but it's not really what this mechanic is for. Overall, it seems to be a thing that the community is like generally positive on. One thing I wasn't expecting from this set was the return of Myriad, which is a great way to end games by having multiples of creatures enter the battlefield and attack a lot of players. Watsi really is trying to encourage more attacking in the commander format, so it's not just everyone like staring at each other from their corners and just like comboing out who can combo out first, and you know, just try and make combat matter more, you know? So, like, there's lots of goading in this set, and we'll <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Oh, yeah. Alright. Yeah, there's, then there's also initiative slash venture into the Undercity. This isn't something I really had thought about too much, because it's only on a few cards in this set, and I kind of didn't really think about it too much, but what you have written here kind of like made me see it in a new light because it's apparently a, a new take on the monarch mechanic which is designed to sort of facilitate players attacking each other in order to get card draw as a reward and a lot of commander players especially more casual commander players agree that monarch is just like a really really good mechanic some people go so far as to say, like, Commander should have just had Monarch from the beginning, but uh, I'm not going to get into that rapid hole. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, I think to just kind of explain the idea of initiative and uh, venturing, mm-hmm. which it's very similar to what we got in the first Adventures in the Forgotten Realm, where you go into the Undercity, which is a new dungeon. You can only enter the Undercity if you have the initiative. And you'll know if you have the initiative because that'll be on some of the cards we talk about. Now, if you have the initiative or gain the initiative and you're already currently in a dungeon, you will not be going into the Undercity as well. You will just stay in your dungeon and then be continuing through that. But if you don't have a dungeon already, that's how you get the Undercity. And so what the initiative is, whenever one or more creatures a player controls deals combat damage to you, that player takes the initiative. So very similar to Monarch. And whenever you take the initiative, at the beginning of your upkeep, venture into Undercity. And that means then, if you have the initiative, and uh, if you have the initiative, then you will travel through. So it's like secret entrance. That's the first thing. Search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. And you have two pathways. So at the beginning of your next upkeep, if you still have the initiative, you will then choose which way you want to go or i believe when you then take the initiative from someone else yep that's a great way to describe it all right so now that we've kind of talked through all the mechanics in this set some new some more familiar with i think we're ready to talk about the new legendaries in this set yes and i you know we're going to start with our very popular uh unnoteworthy section just so we can get a lot of the duds out of the way I do mm-hmm. think that there's a higher than normal amount of stuff that we've deemed unnoteworthy, mainly because some of these are meant for that draft environment, and we don't want to focus on them so much in our set reviews. And yeah, there's just an abundance of legendary creatures in here. Like Blake said, there's 85 yeah. or something like that. That takes up close to a third of the set. So you can't expect all of these to be you know, something that you want to build a commander deck around. Um, there are a few where I might make the note, or I can just say this now. There's definitely a number of commanders that I think care about dragons, which is great, because dragons is a very strong tribal type. But when we already have such strong dragon commanders, like the Ur-Dragon and another couple that we'll be talking about, it's really hard to justify making these commanders as your commanders when they can just go into the 99 of dragon decks. Right. So, small little announcement, especially for any of our longtime listeners. This set review will be our tip, like our typical structure, but after this set going forward, Guy and I are going to change it up a little bit. We are going to be changing the way we review sets just because the nature in which Watsi's been like printing so many cards for Commander, basically it's just too much for us, and we don't want... We're starting to feel like we do too many side reviews, and each side review is like three hours, each hour, each episode being like an hour and a half, and that's just like... We love Commander, we love talking about it, but even for us, that's too much, man. So like, we're, we're going to change it up a bit in, in an effort to reduce the amount of time we spend talking about cards that ultimately like hardly anyone ever like thinks about after the fact after the set comes out you know yeah and i think we'll go into more detail next time we have kind of our set review so you can kind of expect that 
around the time that the Dominaria United comes out. Right, but I just want to make that little announcement so y'all aren't shocked completely by the next time we do it. Consider this our grand finale of, I don't know, like, bi-weekly set reviews. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Changes for the better, I think, though. Yes. Alright, so, I mean, how do you want to do this, man? Like, you just want to read the name and, like, basically what it does and, like, just kind of skip right along? <laughs> Let's just fire them off, like, bang, bang, bang. All These right. are all unnoteworthy again probably better for the draft environment or very specific things that we don't want to go about talking about in our podcast right now yeah so blake read the first one so this is ellen harbury's busybody three and a white it's a human peasant two four and it taps where you look at the top x cards in your library where like x is the number of tokens you created so like in, in theory you made a whole bunch of tokens this turn you tap her you can look at a lot of the top few cards and then you can put one of those into your hand the rest on the bottom of your library in random order you also get to choose the background so like you could make it so like you're not just stuck in white but again it's kind of meh like this isn't actually white card draw or card advantage i should say so we don't actually really care about this card yeah we also just got benny who is a much better commander for stuff like that so yeah unfortunately not really worth talking about Next we have Flaming Fist, which is two and a white, legendary enchantment background. Basically gives your commander creatures, whenever this creature attacks, it gains double strike until end of turn. The art doesn't even have a Flaming Fist in it, so <laughs> I think it yeah. kind of sucks. But oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. In 9 out of 10 situations, it's a worse duelist heritage. And it's much worse. Because <laughs> it's just your commander. It's not like any creature or your opponent's creature. Alright, next one is Alora, Mary Thief, two and a blue, Halfling Rogue, three, two. This can be your commander. So, whenever you attack, up to one target attacking creature can't be blocked this turn. Return that creature to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. Choose a background. So, it's a blue Halfling that makes something unblockable. Like, it's so mad next. We got Renare, Merchant of Marvels, three and a blue. You may cast dragon spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. Legendary creature dragon artificer. Again, talks about dragons, so best in the dragon type decks. And this allows you to choose a background. Yeah, there are just so many other dragon tribal uh, commanders that this is like way at the bottom. Like, and mm -hmm. sure, you can like look at it from the artifact perspective giving them flash like okay there's something there but then like you're in some two color combination and like I don't know if you noticed that there's also besides dragon tribal having a lot of commanders there's also a lot of artifact synergy commanders like like a lot so it's like even more than dragon tribal options so it's like this is just kind of getting thrown to the wayside next up we have candle keep sage two in a blue it's background so commander creatures you own have when this creature enters the battlefield, enters or leaves the battlefield, draw a card. So, oh, whoop-de-doo, blink commanders now have kind of a staple. Very straightforward next. Yeah. Sword Coast Sailor, one in a blue background. Commander creatures you own have whenever this creature attacks a player. If no opponent has more life than that player, this creature can't be blocked this turn. Ooh, There's a cycle of these blocked. kind of cards. Yeah, I mean, 
that's nice that it can't be blocked, but um, I think there's some other better commanders that can just give your creatures unblockable. Um, there's the Umazawa from Dominaria. Uh, but like Kisuka. that's it. So like maybe one or two commanders out of like the literally over a thousand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So next up we got Dungeon Delver. One in a blue background. Commander creatures you own have room abilities of dungeons you own trigger an additional time. So like again for maybe like the three or four like Dungeon Matters cards that commanders with blue in their color identity congratulations you have a new staple next yeah there's already a white blue commander that can do that for yep. you um so this can just go in there again and that's just like an additional buff but yeah we got sivris nightmare speaker three black legendary creature snake cleric warlock that's a lot of text <laughs> tap Sacrifice another creature or an artifact for each opponent. You mill a card, then return that card from your graveyard to your hand unless that player pays three life. So the fact that you are just getting back the card that you're milling, you don't get to like choose from your graveyard, seems pretty underwhelming. I would like the choice more. Um, and then, yeah, choose a background. So, meh. Yeah, like I, when I remember when this card was revealed, it's like, oh, this name is sick. The art is sick. And I read the ability, and I'm like, I wish this did something cool, but it doesn't. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So next up, we got Viconia Drow Apostle. Apostate. So next, yeah. So next up, we have Viconia Drow Apostate. Two and a black. Legendary creature elf cleric. It's a two three. At the beginning of your upkeep, if the if there are four or more creature cards in your graveyard, return a creature card at random from your graveyard to your hand. Returning things from graveyard to hand is pretty mediocre when you have all of access to pretty much all of the card pool of magic, and there are so many effects that go from grave to field, and that's just stronger, and so we don't really care about this. Oh, it also says choose a background, whatever. Yeah. Um, all the ones we're, we're going to be talking about today say choose background. So we got Amber Gristle Omal, three, three red legendary creature dwarf cleric, haste. That's nice. Whenever Amber Gristle Omal attacks, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw a card for each player being attacked. So you definitely want to go wide, you know, attacking all your opponents. But if you're discarding your hand, like, you're going to want to make sure that you're getting some value out of this. So... No, you want to have two cards in hand so you can draw three? Right, so... Correct, on an average pod, you have three opponents because there's you and then your three opponents. And so, you're discarding your hand to draw three, and Watsy staff have confirmed that they're trying to make red effects where they don't just, they don't just um, draw you back up to hard seven. They don't want to do that anymore, like Wheel of Fortune. So they're trying to like find ways to draw you up to about three or four, and that's where Amber fits in that box. So that's why um, she is designed the way that she is. Mm -hmm. What's next? Popular Entertainer, one in a red, it's background. Commander creatures you own have whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, go target creature that player controls. So whoop de doo it's a little bit of goading, it's really inefficient goading it's whatever we'll talk about goading a little bit more later yeah goading is now just kind of a commander staple 
it's pretty much evergreen at this. Again, they're trying to make combat matter more, and a really good solution that Watsi has said that they've found is putting goad on more cards. Yeah. Next we got Street Urchin, one in a red. Commander creatures you own have one. Sacrifice another creature or an artifact. This creature deals one damage to any target. Kind of a mediocre effect just to like do one damage. Yeah, I mean it's not a goblin bombardment. You do have to pay one mana to deal one damage to any target. And like that right. I mean Goblin Bombardment is just insane as a pretty much free sack outlet, so every sort of We've seen lots of effects like this on other types of cards, and because you have to put mana into it to make the damage, they're just uh, not the same rate, and they're just not as efficient, and we forget about them. This next one, kind of, I have a little bit to say, but not much. It's pretty straightforward. This is Will Blade of Frontiers. It is one in red, human warlock, one, one. If you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest roll. Whenever you roll one or more dice, put a plus one plus one counter on Will. Choose a background. So, congratulations, you have a commander deck that cares about rolling dice. Um, whether Will is one of the commanders, or you put Will in the 99 of your dice rolling deck, where red is part of the color identity. There aren't, at, at this time of recording, there aren't really that many dice rolling black border commanders. You might get more in the future, but for right now, it's just like a very, very small handful. So, I don't have too much to say beyond that. Yeah, it's pretty much a Quark Slither's thumb <laughs> as your commander. I mean, it's nice that we're getting some of those types of effects now, especially when Quark's thumb is a silver border card, so it's not technically illegal. Correct. But now that they're acknowledging that dice roll can be in kind of lower powered or casual environments, they're starting to add more options for that. So, okay, we got Skanos, Dragonheart, four green legendary creature, Dragon Ranger. Whenever he attacks, it gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the greatest power among other dragons you control and dragon cards in your graveyard. So again, pretty good for dragon decks, just not the most noteworthy for dragon commanders. Sure. And even though the art makes it look very humanoid, like it does indeed count as a dragon. So, I mean, that's nice at least. Because, you know, a lot of dragon synergy cards, like, oh, your dragons cost one less, aren't actually dragons. So, like, there's always that tension of not wanting to play them. But this it actually is a dragon. So, I just want to make that quick note. The next card we have is Acolyte of Bahamut. One in a green, legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have... The first dragon spell you cast each turn costs two less to cast. So, cost reduction of two for a specific tribe, you know, actually might be good, especially since dragon spells tend to have a lot of generic mana in their casting costs, but even so, there's just so many good dragon cards for dragon tribal, I'm not sure you want to really bother with this enchantment. Yeah, and... A lot of, I think the big problem with background sometimes is that, you know, it does require for you to have your commander out, so dragons tend to be pretty expensive in terms of mana value, so you'll be wanting to play that first and then play this, and then you get like two mana off, so it kind of like pays for yourself that turn, and it's only once per turn, so it's 
it's pretty alright. I would say, again, noteworthy in a dragon deck, not really noteworthy for the main, the, like, your main commander kind of card. Alright, we got Cloakwood Hermit, two and a green, enchantment background, legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have at the beginning of your end step, if a creature card was put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn, create two tapped 1-1 one, one green squirrel green squirrel creature tokens. Eh, I mean, you only get one if it's, it's only one your end step. Die. It's only your end step. And it's yeah, just two tokens. It Who cares? If it weren't your end step, and if it weren't also tapped green cre squirrel creature tokens, because I feel like the benefit to creating these squirrel tokens is that they could be blockers, but that's not the case. So, yeah. I think this would be good in that gold guard. Is it Shatterfang? Chatterfang, yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe good there, because then you can at least create a couple more, but yeah. Maybe. So, the next background we have is Hardy Outlander, one in a green. Commander creatures you own have whenever this creature attacks a player, if no opponent has more life than that player, another target creature you control gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is this creature's power. Oh, whoop-de-doo. Like, pump up your creatures. It's pretty, like, average and forgettable. Want to move on? Alright, we got Zelix Sanity Flare. Two and a blue. We'll make a note that this one is only available in the Commander decks. It's part of the Blue-Black Horror deck. Mm. But this is Legendary Creature Horror. It has, quote-unquote, Hive Mind. Whenever a player mills one or more creature cards, you create a 1-1 one, one black horror creature token. One tap, target player mills three cards, choose background. I think this one's fine. I mean, I do like the fact that this one does create creatures whenever a player mills. It doesn't have to be necessarily from Zelix effect. Um, but in terms of like mill commanders, we got plenty of other better options. <laughs> Yeah, and for me it all comes down to the specific wording of this card where it says one or more creature cards. So it's not like whenever a creature goes to the grave you create a token. It's You could mill like 50 cards all at once and you're only going to get one token. So Yeah, and you can spend a lot of mana into milling people, but they, you could just whiff and only get them to mill maybe one creature. So, yeah, that's you know, true. if you're putting six mana into milling someone, and again, they only mill one creature, you only get that one token. So, yeah. It does seem kind of like high variance, or, you know, gotta be lucky. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not a very good token generator compared to other token generators in the color, and just in general. So next up is, back to backgrounds, is Agent of Shadow Thieves. One in a black, commander creatures you own have... Whenever this creature attacks a player, if no opponent has more life than that player, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. It gains death touch and indestructible until end of turn. So, like, it's just very mid. You know, it's nothing bad about it, but it doesn't do anything spectacular. It's just kind of forgettable. Yep. I agree. So, next we have Safana Calum. Callum, Port, Cutthroat, two and a black, legendary creature, human rogue, menace, which is nice. At the beginning of your end step, if you have the initiative, create a treasure token, create three of those tokens instead if you've completed a dungeon. So, you know, that is 
pretty good to create three treasures. That's, you know, but yeah, I think just dungeons in general aren't the most exciting or powerful archetype. So to me, it just feels underwhelming because it's like, oh, you're playing a dungeon deck. Dungeon deck. Yeah. It's like you see treasures and like, oh, your eye gets drawn to this because treasures, at least at this point in time, are pretty strong and pretty good. But then you read it and you have to complete a dungeon, which is like, dungeons aren't that good in this format. So then you like quickly lose interest and realize, ah, I don't actually really want to play with this card much. So mm -hmm. next we have a red background. This is Dragon Cultist, four and a red, it's five mana. Commander creatures you own have at the beginning of your end step. If a source you control deals five or more damage this turn, create a 4-4 red dragon creature token with flying. So a five mana enchantment, where only at the beginning of your end step, if you met a certain condition of dealing five or more damage, you create a single flying token. Mm, so underwhelming next. And last of the underwhelming ones, we got Criminal Pass, which is two and a black, Enchantment, background, commander creatures you own have menace, and this creature gets plus X plus zero, where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. So, if you do, I don't know, I guess want to be filling up your graveyard a lot with like some mill, but yeah, again, what are you going to pair this with? If you, if you know that you're going to have a lot of creatures in your graveyard, then go for it. But again, I wouldn't put this as the commander at least. That being said, I know we read a whole bunch of backgrounds, but I do want to say there are a few backgrounds in the set that we do think are worth talking about, and we will be talking about them here in a few minutes. The second thing I wanted to say is just sort of a reminder of, Guy and I just spent a little over 15 minutes reading cards we don't even really want to talk about, and like that is why we are changing up how we are going to be doing set reviews, because it's like... That's 15 minutes I'm not going to get back. And we are both busy guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So why don't we start? We're going in Wooberg order as normal. Blake, why don't you read the first commander? Sure. And I'm kind of glad we're starting with this because I feel like the, like this is, a, this is a good one to start off. Like, I feel like there's a decent amount of people that are interested in this and, like, hyped for this card. This is Abdel, Adrian. Gorion's Ward. Four and a white. Legendary creature, human warrior, four four. So when Ardil enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-land permanents you control until Abdel leaves the battlefield. Create a one-one white soldier creature token for each permanent exiled this way, and then you can choose a background. So you're not just locked into mono white. But this is so let me just say, like, the first point of comparison that anyone's going to bring up is that, oh, it's very similar to World Gorger Dragon in the sense that you can play, like, an animate dead on this, like, exile your shit, and then basically between Abdel exiling the animate dead and coming back and then leaving and then coming back and then leaving, you can, like, tap your non-land permanents and hopefully some of them make mana like usually mana rocks and then you can just basically make infinite mana and then i'm sure from there you can abuse that infinite mana a whole multitude of ways so 
And then on top of that, you're creating pretty much infinite tokens as well, at the very least. So, I believe if I'm reading that right. So, yes. This is probably one of the cards that I'm kind of hyped for. Like, it's cool that this is something that's no longer in, I don't know, black-red color identity. This is now in at least black-white color identity. So that's kind of cool. Right. You're definitely going to be wanting to pair this with one of the backgrounds that has black. Because you want access to, like, Animate Dead, which is what makes World Gorger Dragon so powerful. Yeah. I think there's a few others besides Animate Dead, but that's just, like, the quote-unquote easiest one to talk about, which is funny, considering the horrible text of Animate Dead. Anyway, yeah, so I'm excited for this card. It's a good example of, like, hey, Watsi's, like, given tools to white. Speaking of which, you want to read the next card? Yeah, this is Lazelle, Blockiff's Champion. I really hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> we probably so, two and a white, legendary creature, Gif, warrior. If you would put one or more counters on a creature or planeswalker you control, or on yourself, put that many plus one of each of those kinds of counter on that permanent or player instead. So this is pretty good because it's not only just like doubling up on like the plus one plus one counters, it's just going to double up on any kind of counter, which is pretty good. Yeah, I am pretty happy for this card. Like, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, like, Planeswalker Tribal has gotten a bit of a support card. Like, alright, Super Friends is looking, like, has, like, another option. Because it doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, it's like, hey, a new choice of card. Yeah, yeah. and you're going to be wanting to proliferate, too, in this kind of thing, so... You know, when you proliferate, you're really proliferating twice because then, you know, if you put one counter on it, because of the proliferate, you then get to put another counter on it because of Lazelle. So, I'm not 100% sure what kind of color you might want to, like, pair this with in terms of, like, counters matter. Uh, maybe blue if you're going for, like, I don't know, because I think that's pretty big in the proliferate world. But also just, like, good, again, in, like, Atraxa-type decks, which, you know, really want the most kind of ways to just make sure that you're getting a bunch of counters onto creatures. Sure, yeah, this could be, this can be your commander, but this can also go in the 99. Another thing I'd like to say before we move on to the next card is that I like how Watsi designed this card to be pretty open-ended, where it's like basically any kind of counter, because Watsi seems to be pretty comfortable just making new kinds of counters every set or so, mm -hmm. generally speaking. So it's nice that they left this so open-ended, so it's not going to become super niche over time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alright, next up is a very silly, fun card. This is Lulu, Loyal Polyphant. It is three and a white, legendary creature, elephant, angel quite the creature type, quite the art. It has flying, and it's a 3-2. So, at the beginning of your end step, if a permanent you controlled left the battlefield this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on each tapped creature you control, then untap them, and you can choose a background. So again, it can be like a two-color deck. And this is just like, obviously a lot of people are obsessed with the art and just the fact that it's an elephant angel and oh, isn't that so cute? 
it is. The ability itself is pretty nice where like it's limited to only your end step, but just the fact that if, you, if basically if they flickered, like if they are tapped, you can untap them. Like we don't care so much about the plus one plus one counter, but like being able to untap your stuff right before like your end step, you can do some pretty strong things with that. Yeah, I do like the ability to untap your stuff. I do think it's a little unfortunate that it's like, you know, only one counter, even if you had a ton of stuff go to the graveyard or left the battlefield. So that also doesn't just apply to like when you sack like a fetch land or if you lose a creature, that could also mean like, you know, blink effects or blink effects because that's all <laughs> yeah. else I could think of. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, that is what it is. You pretty much hit the nail right on the head. All right, this next commander, oh, guy, you were concerned about butchering the names. Move over, step aside. We have Rasad N. Bashir. <laughs> Two and a white. Human Monk, zero three. Each creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. You've seen that effect a few times. When Rasad attacks, if you have the initiative, so remember initiative and a venture into the Undercity, if you have the initiative, double the toughness of each creature you control until end of turn choose a background. So, this can be a two-color commander. You do kind of have to compare it to Doran the Siege Tower, which basically makes all of your creatures deal combat damage as though, like, it was their, by their toughness instead of their power. And so, that's kind of what this is doing. This is trying to pull you away from, like, Doran decks because it's luring you with the enticement of also giving the benefit of sometimes doubling said toughness so you gotta kind of weigh your options as terms of like you're probably going to be losing a color if you go from that to that but overall this is a very very niche theme i guess i don't even know if i could call it a theme it is really only a small handful of decks that are quote-unquote toughness matters i guess that's the theme. toughness matters big butts yeah there aren't very many that do this so who knows maybe this yeah. goes in the Maybe this goes in the 99 of Doran or mm, whatever. Yeah. Next we have Far Traveler, which is two and a white, legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have at the beginning of your end step, exile up to one target tapped creature you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. So it kind of gives it pseudo vigilance, and it's another good blinked effect for white. You know, we've just seen white getting so many kind of ways to like blink stuff which will then like re-trigger your enter the battlefield stuff i was about to say like oh you know attack with your sun titan and then you know it comes back and then it'll like you know bring something back but sun titan also has vigilance so you know if you attack with it it's not going to be tapped which i think that is the one thing that you'll need to like pay attention to is that it needs to be a tapped creature so if you are looking for getting enter the battlefield type effects to go off with this, make sure that you're attacking with some creatures, or if you have another way of tapping it for mana or something. Yeah. What do we have next? Inspiring Leader. So this one is two and a white. It's a legendary enchantment background. Again, it's a background. But we actually felt like talking about this one a little bit. Commander creatures you own have creature tokens you control get plus two, plus two. So the reason I kind of wanted to talk about this 
is because anthem effects where creatures you control get plus one plus one plus one aren't really that strong in the commander format and this background is different because the downside is it's narrowed to just creature tokens you control but it gives you the upside of being plus two plus two which is better it's a noticeable improvement to the plus one plus one and so oftentimes token decks can go in this format can go so wide where like say you just make like 15 one ones well now you have 15 three threes and that's to again the level to where combat might actually kill somebody you know so mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel like the example I gave is that far fetched. If anything, I feel like with certain token decks I gave a very conservative example there. Um, but you can see my point, which is like, oh, this is actually like a buff to where like this could actually like, kill somewhere, take at least one player out. Where again, combat is actually mattering in this format. Yeah, and I think you know white has plenty of access to angel creature token generators. So yes. you know those are already pretty big when they come into play, and I think a lot of the times those will also have like lifelink. So you're just buffing those up. You're making pretty much like six 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 uh, lifelink flying creatures. So you know that's pretty good. And also I think you know with the addition of myriad. Those myriad creatures enter the battlefield as like copy tokens, so those will even this will even then like give your myriads like a boost. Yeah. So again, like say you make only ten tokens this time, but you have divine visitation out, and then this like so you just made ten tokens that are each six sixes. So now you have sixty power on the board. Like you're gonna fucking kill somebody with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That being said, Divine Visitation is a pretty strong card in token decks. That's why they're if they're a token deck in white, they often have it. Anyway, moving on to the next card. Yep, that is Noble Heritage, which is one in a white legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have when this creature enters the battlefield and at the beginning of your upkeep. Each player may put two plus one plus one counters on a creature they control. For each opponent who does, you gain protection from that player until your next turn. You can't be targeted, dealt damage, or enchanted by anything controlled by that player. So, you know, I think this is a somewhat political card. Because oh, it's definitely a You'll play card. this. Yeah. Yeah, and you're going to be like, hey, you know, buff up your stuff. You know, maybe don't attack me this turn, but just go for someone else. Like, you know, it incentivizes your opponents to do the work for you, which is... Pretty nice. Um, I think the one downside is just that you'll want to kind of keep it in your back pocket that maybe when your opponents eventually do come after you because they're like, oh, I'm not going to take this deal, um, you're going to want to want ways of like being able to deal with some buff creatures because they are counters. So it's not like it's they just get the buff for the turn; they'll stay on that creature. Yep, so if you're interested in making political deals, if you're interested in really talking and engaging with your opponents and trying to connive your way to victory, this is a this is an actual political card that I think you will enjoy. Mm-hmm. So next up we have Veteran Soldier, one in a white. It's background. 
Commander creatures you own have, whenever this creature attacks a player, if no opponent has more life than that player, for each opponent, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token that's tapped and attacking that player. So, it's for the cost of 2 mana, you could potentially be making up to 3 1-1s pretty much every turn. Because, well, I believe if I understand that correctly, which is a pretty good rate. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty good because it is, let's say, um, it does have to be your commander that you're attacking uh, with. Correct. Because it says commander creatures you own have. So it's referring to when it's saying whenever this creature attacks a player, that does mean it has to be your commander. Now, that's still pretty good because, you know, commander damage is a thing. Um, but if you're attacking someone, most likely you will be creating three tokens that are also attacking. I do think the drawback of this is just like late game, it might not be as good because if you're trying to finish off one opponent because it's now 1v1, you're only going to be able to get one token out of this. But again, like we've talked about, white has plenty of anthem effects, so you also have like the inspiring leader route where, you know, we were talking about like you know, also throw an anointed procession or things like that. Um, however, I guess if you do that with anointed procession, the white soldier creature token becomes an angel, but that won't be attacking. Um, but yeah, so I feel like this is a good way of being able to build token sub theme into your deck and then, yeah, just giving them some buffs and throwing in some stuff that... Uh, matters for like creatures attacking. Alright, do we have any more white cards? We got one more, which is Folk Hero. This is in one of the commander decks, I believe the party deck. So it's one in a white, so already pretty cheap. Legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have. Whenever you cast a spell that shares a creature type with this creature, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So it is pretty strong in tribal decks, um, like some of the ones that I just thought of off the top of my head are angels, dragons, humans, um, and it is, you know, a hard once per turn, this ability triggers only once each turn, but if you have ways of being able to flash in creatures on your opponent's turn and you have your commander still out, so, you know, you cast the creature on your turn, if you can then cast maybe one or two creatures uh, through the turn cycle on some of your opponent's turns, you'll be able to draw more cards. And I think that's kind of like what the consensus was with like welcoming vampire. Um, but that was pretty limited to the fact that it relied on uh, power or tough. I think it was power. Um, but yeah, this this I think feels better because it is. Um, probably something you're going to be building around with the fact that like yeah all my angels are now going to be able to like draw me cards all my humans are going to be able to draw me cards yep even though it only triggers once each turn it's like hey that's like possibly four card per rotation of the table um yeah I think so yeah on an average pod yeah that it's not just limited to your only your turn, which a lot of cards have that restriction. So yeah. Alright, well that's mm -hmm. all of the white cards, so now we should move into blue. 
Yep. So why don't you read off this first one, Blake? Because oh, it's a doozy. Yeah, I would even be tempted to just say that this is probably one of the strongest commanders from the set. I'm just going to say that right now. So, this is Gale, Waterdeep Prodigy. Two and a blue, legendary creature, human wizard. It's a 1-3. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand, you may cast up to one target card from the other type from your graveyard. So if you cast an instant, then you can cast a sorcery from your grave. If you cast a sorcery, then you can cast an instant from your grave. If a spell cast from your graveyard this way would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. So that way it's not ultimately busted to fuck. <laughs> so then you can also choose a background. So again, this can kind of be a two-color deck, not just mono blue. So I know for a fact our friend Park has some interest in this, and he pairs it with a black enchantment that we're going to talk about later. But and I've watched some gameplay videos of that of said color combination, and it's like really like powerful. Like I'm glad that Gale doesn't also cheat mana because it's an insane card advantage engine. Um, at like. At, at the very least, it can do that, and it can, because it's so open-ended, it can do so much more. Right. Um, I know most of the people that I've seen build a deck around this are using Scion of Halister as their background, and I'm just going to read that card right now. Oh, sure. Even though it's a black card, uh, but it'll make sense as to why people are pairing Gale with this. So, Scion of Halister, one in a black, legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have the first time you would draw a card each turn. Instead, look at the top two cards of your library. Put one of them into your graveyard and the other back on top of your library, then draw a card. So, this is really getting to fuel your graveyard, because you're going to be playing a lot of, like, cheap instants and sorceries that are going to be able to draw you cards. Um... So, with this being able to filter what you're putting into your graveyard, so then when you cast another instant or sorcery, and you have the choice now to, like, you know, now I can cast Yawgmoth's Will, because I just milled that into my graveyard. Like, mill, quote-unquote. But, yeah, you, you get what I'm trying to say here. So, yeah, it's a pretty powerful filter, because you're going to be doing that a lot, and you can easily be doing that on every player's turn with the amount of, like, instants that you will probably pl be playing in this deck. So, yeah. Nut Gale already nuts, but now paired with Scion, like, yeah. It's probably the strongest combination of commanders and backgrounds that we have come across so far. Yes. This is... <sighs> this is just very strong value. And, like, for example, one of the things you can do is, like, our friend has talked about the idea of putting in only a single extra turn spell. But, like, there's just so many ways for him to, like, use Gale to, like, and other cards from the 99 to cost reduce spells and to copy spells that he ends up taking six extra turns. And it's not even an extra turns deck. It's just, like, that's his win con where, like, he does, like, make six extra turns. Oh, like over the first few of those turns, he demonstrates that he's going to make a fuck ton of tokens in that color identity. He's like, "Do you want to just scoop it up?" And I was like, "Yeah." And so <laughs> it, it, that's just one of the many things. So it's pretty nutty. It's pretty nutty. Yeah, 
So next we got Volo Internet Scholar, two in a blue, legendary creature, human wizard. This is our second time seeing Volo because we've had Volo in the first Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. Volo Guide to Monsters was the original, yeah. Right, so this says, when Volo enters the battlefield, create Volo's Journal, a legendary colorless artifact token with hexproof, and whenever you cast a creature spell, note one of its creature types that has been noted for this artifact. So then you can two, tap, draw a card for each creature type noted for target permanent you control named Volo's, named Volo's Journal. So what it, it shares the same idea of you want to be playing a lot of creature types like Volo Guide to Monsters. I think what's cool is, you know, Volo cast town, you get the journal, you start noting creature types, you lose Volo. Recast Volo, Volo will create a new journal, but you can sack the newer journal and still then use the um, older journal, which will probably still have a lot of creature types noted, which will then allow you to draw more cards. Um, what was I about to say? Yeah, because uh, the fact that Volo's journal has hexproof you know, a built-in protection will allow it to, like, probably stay on the battlefield a little bit longer than other artifacts. Yeah. And I think that it's nice because it's rewarding you for playing some multiples of creature types, since if you lose a journal somehow, later you can re-note that creature type to gain some value. If you know what I mean. Yeah. I, there's a lot of interesting things going on in this card, many of which you already talked about. Like, you don't often see note as part of the rules text. I think there's only a few, but I really do like the how the flavor of this character has really been shifted into, like, actually, like, how you play this card. It's like you're basically like Volo, where you're writing stuff down physically as the player. So I think that's just yeah. really cool. Like, there's a lot I could say about this, but you already talked about it. So I'm just gonna move on. I think. Well, actually, the one other thing that I think would be nice is if you paired this with Haunted One, which is a background that is. I'll just read it. But it's two and a black commander creatures you own have. When this creature becomes tapped, it and other creatures you control that share a creature type with it get plus two plus O oh, and gain Undying until end of turn. So there are a lot of creatures that, you know, are like dual type, um, human or wizard something. Uh, so you could build it as like a human wizard tribal deck, but like each of them also then could have a second subtype. But so long as they all have like human something or wizard something, you can then buff those and protect your creatures because essentially they get like persist. Okay, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, and because you're also going to be tapping Volo to draw cards, which is the important part in Haunted One. So you're going to tap Volo to draw these cards, and then Haunted One will then allow you to, like, you know, make your creatures have all these, like, buffs. The plus two, Undying. Yeah. Okay. Alright, yeah, we'll keep rolling on. This is Val Candlekeep Researcher. It is three in a blue. It's a legendary creature, human wizard. Two, three. And it has vigilance and a tap ability. 
So that's kind of nice when there's both a tap ability and it also has vigilance, so that means it can attack and then like main phase 2 tap. Or, you know, or abuse it with untap effects and also attack. Anyways, so it can tap to add an amount of generic mana equal to Val's toughness. And remember, it's a 2-3. So in theory, at the very minimum, you're tapping to add 3 generic mana. And then this mana can't be spent to cast spells from your hand. So you gotta cast spells from exile or cast them from your graveyard. Like so, that last line of text really hinders the power level of this card, but that just means you're gonna do wacky and weird things with it, probably. And remember, you can choose a background. Yeah. I believe Josh played this on Command Zone. Yeah. Yeah, and he was able to just, you know, cast a bunch of artifacts. He was drawing a bunch of cards with the Clan Crafter, which we'll talk, I mean, we can talk about that next, I guess, but that was. One in a blue legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have two. Sacrifice an artifact, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature and draw a card. So yeah, he was just able to like generate a lot of value in one turn by being able to like recast artifacts from the graveyard, sacking them, making mana, drawing um, cards, and then yeah, being able to have Val to then cast uh, or activate abilities of the artifacts was nuts. It, it was a pretty good deck. Oh, it was pretty entertaining. Yeah. Next we have Feywild Visitor, which is two and a blue legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have whenever one or more non-token creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you create a 1-1 blue fairy dragon creature token with flying. Um, I'm actually going to pause on this card because I want to bring it up later when we talk about a red commander that allows you to choose background because i've built a deck that kind of focuses on that card and this card paired together so uh stay tuned for <laughs> later in the episode i guess sure this next one is shameless charlatan one in a blue it's background commander creatures you own have two in a blue this creature becomes a copy of another target creature. Guy, what do you do with this? Well, obviously, Blake, the only thing that you need to do is turn your commander into a Blightsteel Colossus <laughs> for that 11-11 commander infect damage. Ooh, baby. I like that. <laughs> every single goddamn episode. I don't know if we've done it every episode, but we try. <laughs> Good old blight steel. I mean, it's almost like every single set review, at least. Like, we gotta find a way to sneak him oh, in. Oh, yeah, we gotta. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this this one's pretty good, too. Just the fact that you can, like, create your... You could turn your commander into something stronger. Um, gain an effect. Yeah. Uh, and it can keep the two blue effect, because the card is your commander. So even if you turn your commander into a blight steel, it would still then have the ability to two blue, this creature becomes a copy of another target creature. So there are probably interesting ways of being able to stack effects. Like I know, you know, Scion of the Ur Dragon is very similar where it works with dragons, and I know people have been able to, you know, stack it where you get like Molden Steel Dragon, Scythrix, and then like you pump up the Scion with like that, 
uh, and then have Scythrix come in, and then or you have Scion become Scythrix next, and then it's an infect big creature. So yeah, pretty strong. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, what do we have next? So next was Clan Crafter, but we've already kind of talked about that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to Black. Ooh. So. Saravok, Deathbringer, three and a black, legendary creature, human knight. At the beginning of each player's end step, if no permanents left the battlefield this turn, that player loses X life where X is Saravok's power. Yeah. I think this is interesting because, unlike in other black decks, you're not trying to encourage, like, massive board wipes, because you don't want stuff to leave the battlefield necessarily. And one card that I think is one of the better backgrounds, and I'll probably, you know, say some other commanders should be paired with this, but Raised by Giants, which is five and a green, turns your commander creatures into 10-10s. That then makes this thing a 10-10. And so if nothing left the battlefield at the end of your turn, your opponents are going to be losing 10 life. It's a pretty good amount. So that's a yeah, that's a pretty good amount considering that's normally a quarter. So that becomes a pretty hard clock. Um, so you'll probably want ways of like being able to protect Saravok and Raised by Giants, so that it you know it's just like oh, I'm going to be able to like deal ten damage to you pretty quickly because it's at the beginning of each player's end step. So if Saravok's a ten ten all the time, it could just take one turn rotation. Oh wait, no, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I totally read that wrong. (laughs) Well, I read that wrong a little, because it says that player loses X life. I was thinking it was each player, which would be crazy. Oh god, I'd be so much more hyped for this card if it was each player. God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, I think the pair with Raised by Giants is a pretty good thing, because, yeah, losing 10 life, a quarter of your life, is pretty significant. Alright. So next up we have Shadowheart, Dark, Just Desire. We don't know how to say it. It is three and a black. It's a legendary creature, human, elf, cleric. It's a three, four. And it has one and a black tap. Sacrifice another creature. Draw X cards, where X is that creature's power. And then choose a background. So this card sort of reminds me of like a much weaker Disciple of the Bolas if that card was like your commander because I like Disciple of the Volos because you, like, you can play it, kill it, reanimate it kill it, reanimate it kill it, reanimate it and it's like an ETB so it's just like abusable as fuck whereas this is a tap ability that requires a bit of mana as well and yeah so like, hey, that's all I can think about I'm just like, I'm just like looking at this card and I'm just like I just want Disciple of Bolas instead. <laughs> Next we got Agent of the Iron Throne, which is 2 and a black, legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have whenever an artifact or creature you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each opponent loses one life. So, you know, pretty good because it's like another Blood Artist, Zula Pro Cutthroat, Cruel Celebrant. Yeah, there, this goes into quite a few Aristocrats type decks. Yep, I think you pretty much are right on it, where I think 
everyone really who plays this format, especially if they play against Aristocrats decks eventually, like, they know Blood Artist, they know Zulaport Cutthroat, they know to be afraid of those cards, and now you're also seeing this, and it's not just limited to creatures, it's also artifacts, which is just like a small little, like, cherry on top. Like, you should be afraid. You should be afraid of this card, how easy it is to cast. Like, you, you know, it's a different card type. Like, it's an enchantment instead of being a creature. So, like, Aristocrats decks aren't going to synergize as well, generally speaking, because of that. But, like, it's still a powerful effect where, like, if someone plays this in an Aristocrats deck, I'm going to be concerned that my life total is going to start going down close to zero pretty quickly. Yeah, I think, you know, you got an upside of the fact that, you know, it is including artifacts, which does also mean treasure tokens, because oh, tokens yeah. do go to the graveyard, <clears throat> which is, you know, the abundance of treasures that we have is just going to continue to rise. So that's what makes this pretty good. Uh, the downside is that you do have to have, again, your commander out, which is the downside to all backgrounds, but, you know, I think if you're treating Agent of the Iron Throne or any of the backgrounds as, you know, your secondary commander, you're trying to put as much protection into that card as much as you're probably going to be putting protection into your, your creature commander. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Next. Next one. Alright, we were talking about this a little bit before the episode. This is Cultist of the Absolute. It is a single black mana. It's a background. So, commander creatures you own get plus three plus three and have flying, death touch, and ward, pay three life. And, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature. So that's all. Like, four different things, guy. Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, what makes this so notable is first black mana that's it it's a pretty cheap effect so it's probably not going to be that hard for you to be able to cast your commander and then cast this if you sequence everything right and then plus three plus three that's a buff that makes it pretty strong you get flying which is a type of evasion death touch as another type of evasion because people aren't going to be wanting to block creatures that are going to be able to just automatically kill it and you have ward pay three life which also is a form of protection for your creature so it adds a lot of buffs to it now the downside of the at the beginning of your upkeep sacrifice a creature we're in black we have tons of ways that we're going to be able to just you know benefit from the fact that we are sacrificing creatures we could probably bring back creatures you know that hardly seems like a downside, especially then when you have, you know, cards like Blood Artist, Zulapro Cutthroat, or cards like Agent of the Iron Throne, where you can just start draining your opponents for life. And then that's what's going to make it even harder for them to want to uh, target the commanders, you know? Because if that commander now has Ward paid three life, life is becoming a more valuable resource to you where you might not be as um, willing to pay life to target cards. And I think this is something we should have probably talked about at the beginning, but we'll go off, I want to go on a quick side tangent and ask you this, Blake. Let's say you have both Commander and 
background on the battlefield. Okay. Or someone has that. Sure. Which do you think is the better to get rid of first, the commander creature or the background? <sighs> the backgrounds are giving buffs, but without the commanders, the backgrounds are useless. Yeah, I am... You know, the lazy answer is, like, I think it depends on the situation. But if I had to give, like, if I had to choose one, I'd say probably get rid of the creature. Because in all my times of playing Voltron, like, I could have all of, like, the buffs to my creature. But if the creature goes away, all the buffs pretty much go away, usually. And then, like, all right, Mm -hmm. you're not, like, whatever your strategy was, you're not actually doing anything. So, like... I'm tempted to say get rid of the like the creature instead of the background like most times. Yeah, I do agree that most of the times you probably want to be getting rid of the creature first, but I think in this instance you want to be getting rid of the cultist first because of all the buffs that it gives, especially because pay pay three life reward. You can essentially just get rid of that to then target the commander because if you get rid of the cultist of the absolute no longer does it have like the ward effect yeah like i think ward three i should say ward a3 life is gonna matter especially like if it's a like a deck with black that's like lowering people's life totals where like maybe you can't pay that three life very easily because you're gonna die to creature beat down mm-hmm. yeah made a strong case for this all right Next card I'm going to read is Barakos, Party Leader. It is three and a black. Legendary Creature Orc. It's a 2-4 mythic. So, when he, he is also a cleric, rogue, warrior, and a wizard. So, they're all five of these creature types. So, when he attacks, defending player loses X life, and you create X treasure tokens, where X is the number of creatures in your party. So that doesn't mean he on his own makes five. That's not that would be too busted. Like you still gotta like actually have like a full party if you want five tokens. Correct. Yeah. So just want to quickly clarify for some people, and then choose a background, of course. So say like this is the only creature in your party, you can at least be having the player lose one life and creating one token like that's just on the very worst of situations because this is an attack trigger you don't even have to deal combat uh, damage so that as a baseline and it's only like four mana like alright I can live with that and then especially like you don't even have to build like a quote unquote party deck like there's just so many like occasional rogues so many occasional like creatures that are also warriors. Some there are a lot of real like wizards. Are, like, there's a lot of really strong wizards that have been printed in this format over the years, especially. So I'm pretty hyped for that. Yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah, and I don't and it doesn't even say that like the full party needs to be attacking. For Barakos is the only one that needs to be attacking. So, you know, you can still have your party kind of like up for defense while he goes and attacks and you don't even then need to deal 
combat damage as well. So, you know, you can just attack with him, possibly get up to, I think, a full party's four, right? Yeah. So you could get up to four treasure tokens, because the party is cleric, rogue, warrior, and wizard. And you need one of each creature type card. So, like, yeah, the fact that he counts as all four really only means he's one of those, but he can pretty much be whatever you're lacking in most. Now, I want to say for black, at least, you're most likely going to be low on the clerics. No? You, wait, no. Maybe warriors? I don't know. Because uh, I guess whatever background you want to pair this with, um, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe, maybe folk hero, because whenever you cast a spirit that shares a creature type with this creature, and he's five different creatures, so chances are, like, whatever you're going to cast will allow you to also draw a card. So, okay. I mean, yeah, this one makes a lot of sense, I think, in terms of what it's paired with. Um, it is also in the party deck. Yeah, I think we can move on to the next card. Yeah, so now we're in red. We have Ganax, Astral Hunter, four in a red, legendary creature dragon, flying. Whenever... He or another dragon enters the battlefield under your control, create a treasure token. I actually don't know why I kept him in the <laughs> noteworthy ones to talk about, because again, this would be so much better just probably in the 99 of um, dragon type decks. Uh, so I'd say we could quickly move on from him, unless if you have anything you want to say about it, Blake. So in terms of the red dragon, I think it's fine for, like, Dragon Tribal. Like, I'm not going to make this the commander. I would put this in the 99. Right. I know that there are some Dragon Tribal decks where it just puts the dragon into play versus... So it wouldn't actually trigger this because putting into play is different than entering the battlefield. But the fact that, like, it's creating a treasure token, that's just strong. Want to talk about the next one? Sure. Uh... <laughs> I just looked at the art again, and that face is, gets me. This is Gut True Soul Zealot. It is two and a red. It's a legendary creature, Goblin Shaman. Whenever you attack, you may sacrifice another creature or an artifact. If you do, create a 4-1 black skeleton creature token with menace that's tapped and attacking. Choose a background. So, this is just sort of a funky little guy. You're attacking, you don't have to deal combat damage, so that's nice. It gives you the flexibility of sacrificing an artifact or a creature, that's nice. Uh, the downside is that you're only creating like one or one, and it's like, it doesn't go away at end of turn, and like, it's not just like mono red, but, uh, okay, arguably I should just put this in the nothing to say. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of also like mid on it we did just talk about agent of the iron throne which you know this is becoming a pretty good one because it says whenever an artifact or creature you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield each opponent loses one life gut does encourage you to sack creatures and or artifacts so you know you'll at least be getting some value off of that whenever you attack um but yeah it the fact that it's kind of a little underwhelming that you know you can only do it once for combat, uh, so yeah, I think it's he's fine. Yeah, I think what really 
strikes it for me is like it depends on which other color you choose because like mono red does have a lot of artifact synergy i'd say more so than sacrificing creature synergy right that's why i was saying like pair it with like agent of the iron throne because then you'll sure. at least have black which gives you you know access to all those cards that we were talking about when we talked about that one card <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right so we should read an actual good card yeah, so this is the one that I was talking about earlier, so if you stay tuned, you're in luck. Uh, so this is Carlock, Fury of Avernus, for a red legendary creature, Tiefling Barbarian. Whenever you attack, if, it, if it's the first combat phase of the turn, untap all attacking creatures. They gain first strike until end of turn. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. Choose a background. So, I am interested in building a deck around this and Fabled Visitor. So, Fabled Visitor, if you don't remember, makes you create a 1-1 Blue Fairy Dragon creature token whenever you deal combat damage to a player. So, the idea that I have for this is I have kind of a spectrum of creatures. I either have really small, like, creatures that I tap, uh, are like a single blue mana and are unblockable. And so... Pretty much every combat, if I have three of those, I can attack three players. Then I create three dragon tokens. Then I get a second combat, can do that again, I get three more dragon tokens. So I have cards that first are going to be benefiting off of the creature tokens entering the battlefield. So Perforos, Dragon Tempest, especially Dragon Tempest, like that card's crazy huh. in this deck because it will just exponentially deal more and more damage because it's giving those um but it increases the with however many dragons there are so yeah um woody rose master impact tremors cards like those so benefiting off of creatures entering the battlefield but i also am running a bunch of polymorph effects because i just then want to turn those one one blue fairy dragon creature tokens into some really strong stuff so, I think I'm looking at my deck list now, but like, for example, the new ancient dragons that we're going to talk about in the 99, like Ancient Silver Dragon, Ancient Copper Dragon, White uh, Steel Colossus is in there, uh, Uvara Hellkite, uh, Jinkataxius, a lot of good cards, uh, essentially, that are just going to be able to get me big effects. Uh, Terror of the Peaks, Scourge of Valkus. So, yeah. Um, pretty excited to actually probably physically build this deck. And I think this is a pretty cool pairing. I haven't seen too many other people do quite what I'm doing with this yet. I've seen like people pair it, but they kind of just go with the dragon theme of yeah, just getting dragons. Yeah, like, I think we're starting to reach enough, like, this is design space that Watsi seems to be exploring more, where it's just giving Red these additional combat phases, and was it like Morag that like Red Minotaur a while back, like where it was basically landfall uh, extra combat. Like I remember that card pretty distinctly, and now we're also getting this one. I, I feel like we we can expect even more of these uh, similar type effects here in the future, even more. 
Yeah, and I do like how this one's a little more nerfed in the fact that it says whenever you attack, if it's the first combat phase of the trial. Right. So there's not a way that you can make this go infinite with stuff like Kiki Jiki, um, Port Razor, which we got in the first Commander Legends set. Perfect. Alright, next up we got like a bit less exciting, so I'm going to read it a little bit quicker. But this is Levon, Cultist of Tiamat. It is two and a red. Legendary creature, Dragon Shaman, one three. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, target creature gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is that spell's mana value. So say you cast a non-creature spell that's six mana. Well, like a creature you have, like, doesn't have to be your creature, just a, cre- a creature gets plus set, plus six, plus O, and yeah, then you can choose a background. So, like, say you got some instance going on, like, you, like during combat you can give your creature or other people's creatures, like, I don't know, plus two or plus three, plus O, and, like, kind of do neat little combat tricks. So, again, it's Watsy's trying to make combat matter. So, it's nice that it's just non-creature spell, so there's a big, like, open-endedness to all the different spells that will trigger this ability. So, I mean, it's not the, like, flashiest efficiency, but it does the thing. It's fine. I think the community was kind of talking about this and then like taverns brawler which i'll just read it because it's just like two cards down it is two and a red for a background so you'd pair it with that and it says commander creatures you own have at the beginning of your upkeep exile the top card of your library if this this creature gets plus x plus o until end of turn where x is that card's mana value you may play that card this turn so it's just big plus x plus o in mono red and it's just like this dragon shaman with a chair. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because if you pair this with the Tavern Brawler and you exile something, you know, you can use that to pump Levon, and then if it's a non-creature spell, you can then cast that spell this turn, and then that's just going to pump it even more. So you get, like, two pump effects in one, which is pretty good. Let's see, we got Guild Artisan, one in a red, legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have when this creature attacks a player. If no opponent has more life than that player, you create two treasure tokens. So this is a part of that cycle we were talking about where it's uh, whenever this creature attacks a player, if no opponent has more life than that player. Um, This one's probably the best one of them, just because treasure tokens are, you know, pretty strong and in red you know you got well you got Zorn um, you got Jolene who is red green so this could go in that kind of deck shoot what's the other one that's like when you create treasure token not gold span dragon gosh Um, I'm blanking but there's another one that says like if you create treasure tokens you know you create one more Uh, but yeah so this is definitely good. Encourages attacking again. Don't need to actually deal the combat damage, but you know you'll get you'll get some value off of this. All right. So I know I kind of derailed us by talking about two cards. What's next? Um, next is Bailoff. Oh yeah. Oh, this card was oh, really sparked a whole lot of online talk. So this is Bailoff. Veritol Entertainer. It is four and a red. It's a legendary creature, Elf Shaman. This dude looks suave as fuck, I'm not even gonna lie. He's a 2-5. 
Creatures your opponents control with power less than Baloth's power are goaded. So remember, he has naturally two power, so that means creatures your opponents control with power one or less are goaded. And so if you pump him up to have higher power, like that just means even more of your opponent's shit is now goaded. So that being explained, whenever a goaded attacking or blocking creature dies, you create a treasure token. And then you can choose a background. So this card was being talked about a lot because A, it like makes treasures, which is like sort of a little bit of a contentious topic as to whether Washi should like ease back on that. And then, I don't know, this set specifically, there were small voice of people talking about how small but loud voice of people saying like, oh, like, I want, like, combo to matter less, and, and it's like, Watsi's like, okay, well, here's Goad, and then, like, those same players get mad. It's like, there's no pleasing those players, because they're just going to be mad about everything, and so, what you need to know is this card is cool, the art is suave, like, if people play this against me, I'm going to be, like, so down. Yeah, and I think one of the best pairings that I've seen so far is Raised by Giants, which we've talked about a couple times before, because it is another card that, again, power will increase the power. In yep, and so that pretty much is just going to make everything that your <laughs> opponents have goaded, which is going to be really hard for them to then deal with you. They'll have to like find ways of just getting rid of Baloff and Raised by Giants. Because, yeah, if your creatures are just going to be attacking and dying... You know, you're going to get all the benefits of one, treasures, and then two, um, you know, clearing the board for you. And I don't think it's going to be that hard for you to be able to get to, you know, you got five mana for red, and then uh, you got five mana for Baloff, and then you got six mana for Raised by Giants. But the fact that Raised by Giants is a green card, you're going to have access to all the Cultivates, Kodama's Reach, Three Visits... Cards like that that are just going to make this pretty easy for, you know, you to get probably Baloff out by, like, turn, what, like, three? And then probably Raised by Giants turn four? Yeah. I, like, maybe turn five? Yeah. Like, at the latest? Like, if you just stuff your deck with a whole bunch of ramp, I know some people might roll their eyes to what I just said, but if you just stuff your deck with a whole bunch of ramp, you can get out this... Five mana creature and the six mana background, one after the other, and just like basically say nobody can hit me. You're all gonna have to hit each other. Like let weird things happen. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty good. Mm -hmm. Last right card we have is passionate archaeologist. Legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have whenever you cast a spell from exile, this creature deals damage equal to that spell's mana value to target opponent. Now, what's nice about this is it only costs one in a red, and red is kind of the premier color for stuff being cast from exile. Um, I'd say the next best color is probably black, so you probably want a black legendary creature paired with this. Not 100% sure which one you would pick, considering some of the black choose a background creatures are kind of underwhelming. But yeah, so you know, you got like Jessica's Will, um, Rob the Archives, you got Harnfell, the backside of uh, Burgi, which, you know, discard a card to then 
get two cards that you can cast from exile. Like this thing will be able to pop off pretty, pretty nicely built in like the prosper decks. That, that's also what I was thinking of. Mm, okay. Yeah. So actually, I don't even think that this card necessarily should be your commander, but this card would just be great in prosper decks. Yeah, it's tough because prosper decks. I've seen like pretty two ones there. Pretty fierce. Oh, yeah. That made me scared. <laughs> Alright. Alright, we got one, two, three, four more, Blake. Let's let's take it home. Wow, we're on the home stretch. Only four more cards. Alright, so now we're moving into green. And here we go. This is Halson, Emerald Arch Druid. Three and a green. Legendary creature, Elf Druid, two, four. And it has an activated ability for a single generic mana. Until end of turn, target token you control becomes a green bear creature with base power and toughness 4-4 in addition to its other colors and types. Choose a background. You know, there is a very strong subgroup of players who just love bears, like the creature type bear, and like this doesn't have, oh, well, it does have two little cubs in the art. I take it back. Yeah, so you're going to play that. Congratulations. <laughs> They're cute. Yeah, it goes in the Bear Force 1 deck. <laughs> or you could, like, put this in a Squirrel-type deck, where, you know, you got... It does have to be token, uh, target token you control. Oh, oh shit, Blake. Target token you control. You can turn, turn your, your treasure into a bear. Turn your clues. Yeah. Uh, holy shit, that's pretty good. Because it doesn't lose the types. It is still, you know, essentially a treasure, so... Well, I guess if you attack with the 4-4, four, four, then it taps itself, so then you can't sack it for mana um, necessarily later. But let's kind of move on to this next one, which is also crazy. So you have Jahira, Friend of the Forest, 2 green. Tokens you control have tap at green. So just like what we were saying with Halson, all your tokens now have tap at green. So, treasures can now just tap to add green. You don't have to sacrifice them. Yeah. Your clues can tap for green. You can use then that green to then pay for the two mana that it takes to sack those clues. All your token creatures, all your squirrels, things like that. Yeah, I think this is... These, these two green creatures that we just talked about are pretty solid. I am pretty hyped for this card, I'm probably going to buy this card specifically for the line of text that says tokens you control have tap, add green just because that is such a wide and versatile effect. It's like I can imagine so many token decks that will want that ability. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to get that. I'll probably put it in the 99 of a, of a, of a deck. Yeah. Ooh, this next card. Okay, you know how we were talking about bears? We got more bears. This is Wilson, refined grizzly. You know, here's this grizzly bear drinking a potion with his pinky out. So it's a, it's one and a green. Legendary creature, bear warrior. It's not just a bear, it's a bear warrior. This spell can't, can't be countered. It has vigilance, reach, and trample. It has ward two, and you can choose a background, and it's a two-two. So, you know, it's a bear, so it's a 2-2 two, two for 2, and it's got all this bullshit that's like, it can't be countered, it has Vigilance, Range, Trample, War 2, and you can also choose background. It's just like, man, how pushed can you make a bear? Let's just, like, 
fucking give it everything we can without having to make it three mana or having to give it higher stats or while also not giving it a huge downside. Watsy's like, let's push the bears to the max. Go! Yeah, and I mean, again, not to like keep bringing this card up, but just raised by giants. <laughs> You're in green, so it's not going to be hard for you to be able to reach one, two, three, four, five, six, seven mana. So, you know, you could probably wait a couple turns to cast Wilson, probably on like turn three or four, and then probably next turn you'll have enough mana to also then cast Raised by Giants. Then it becomes a 10-10 bear with Vigilance, Reach, Trample, so it's going to be pretty hard to get over, and it's also going to be able to deal a lot of damage. So, yeah. Pretty good. Solid. Alright, we got one more. Durnin of the Yawning Portal, green a green. Whenever Durnin attacks... Oh, Legendary Creature Human Warrior. Uh, whenever he attacks, look at the top four cards of your library. You may exile a creature card from among them, put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may cast it. That spell has Undaunted, which means it costs one less to cast for each opponent. Uh, so likely you'll be able to give your creatures a minus three mana value uh, cost reduction, and... Also, it doesn't matter whether or not Durnin's still on the battlefield, those creatures will gain Undaunted when they get exiled. So even if he leaves, you can still cast those creatures not having to worry about the mana cost reduction, which is pretty sweet. Oh, and choose a background. And he's a 3-3. <laughs> yeah, if you so, love bears, congratulations. You got, like, another bear next to... I think there's Ayula and Goreclaw, there's a few other ones, but, like, you're just getting even more bear support. Yeah, and, like, Passionate Archaeologist, that card that we talked about for backgrounds, like, you know, if you're casting these creatures from Exile with Undaunted, they're going to be pretty low, so Passionate Archaeologist will be able to, like, deal damage to, you know, opponents based on that. Uh, so, yeah. Sweet. So, we are done with all the monocolor legendary creatures and all the backgrounds. Uh, which was quite a bit. It actually took a lot more time than I expected. Um, I thought we were going to just blaze through these, but we came up with some pretty interesting combinations, I think, as we were talking. Yeah, it's kind of on the cuff. Like, you brought up some really good ones, I think. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we skipped over a lot of the ones that aren't noteworthy, and... You know, we've got all the mechanics out of the way, so hopefully in our next couple episodes, they'll be a little shorter. Yeah. I guess, classic question, just to like end things off, but Blake, do you have a favorite, or do you have one that's like, you think, stronger than the rest? So, I will say that Gale, the blue wizard that makes your instants and sorceries, basically you can cast one you can cast the other I think that one's probably the strongest in my personal opinion as for what would personally interest me um, you know I'm picky, we're, I think we're both picky I'm not sure that there's really any that specifically call out to me, if I'm being perfectly honest and that's fine, not every set needs to, I I think if I had to choose one, that uh, gruel combination of the goading elf plus the giants giving your creatures 
base 1010. That's a pretty cool idea. You know, sometimes you want to sow a little bit of chaos. Just like a little bit to where it's fun. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the fact that, like, Gale and Scion of Halster are probably the strongest combinations of, you know, what is essentially now partner, but with backgrounds. Yeah, so I would say that probably the strongest is those two. And then, I mean, I've talked about personally what I am planning on building, which is the Carlock versus Fury of Avernus and the Feywild Visitor. Um, I do think that that deck will make it to paper for me. But I also, I mean, I was also kind of interested as I was talking about the Volo Demir deck that I kind of thought of. Um, oh, okay. Might play around with that too. We'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, I, I think, you know, you got what, like six seven creatures that say choose a background along with like backgrounds in general the combinations that you have are pretty pretty extensive um not all of them necessarily work well so probably gonna be like a little like here and there but i do i, I do like where this set is going in terms of like what, what it had to offer in terms of commander. It's definitely given more flexibility without having to, like, break partners anymore. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I think they made a whole bunch of backgrounds, and, like, at the beginning of the episode, we blew through a lot of them, which we think are very, very niche, or just not that interesting, or were built for draft, not necessarily commander. But, like we talked about in this episode, there are a couple that I think are really going to catch the imagination and deck brewers of the community and there's gonna be some there's gonna be some oh yeah so yeah yeah overall nothing too busted right on that note we're going to end the episode here we got a lot more to talk about so thank you very much for listening we hope you had a great night uh you can find us on itunes spotify stitcher you, uh, I already said YouTube, and anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts. If you want to bitch and complain about how stupid we are, just please send us an email at the wizard staff at what the wizard staff one hundred and one at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you had a great time, and we'll see you soon for parts two and three. Peace out. See ya. Peace. <laughs>